Sometimes going to the grocery store can be chaotic. There doesn't seem to be enough time to check the list, make sure everything is there, search for the best prices, and take the time to make sure you get the best quality meat. So let ButcherBox help you out. Giving you peace of mind, ButcherBox delivers high-quality meat and seafood that you can trust straight to your door. No grocery carts required. Humanely raised, no antibiotics or hormones, 100% grass-fed, free-range, and crate-free, what more can you ask for? What about free shipping, customized box plans, exclusive member deals, recipe inspirations, tips, and tricks? You really can't go wrong with ButcherBox. Sign up at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breasts, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and use code morning cup to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. Hey guys, I have a podcast that I think you'll really enjoy. Proof, the investigative true crime podcast co-hosted by Susan Simpson of Undisclosed and Jacinda Davis of Evil Lives Here is releasing its highly anticipated second season where they investigate the murder of 18-year-old Renee Ramos. The first season, which if you haven't listened to yet, you totally should, saw the release of two Georgia men serving life sentences for murdering their friend, Brian Bowling. And thanks to evidence unearthed by proof, on December 8th, 2022, both Daryl Lee Clark and Kane Joshua Story were finally freed after 25 years behind bars. With that same investigative drive, Susan and Jacinda are on the case again, and this time, they are on the streets of Manteca, California, to find out who really killed Renee Ramos. In proof, murder at the warehouse, you hear how, on June 5th, 2000, Renee's body was found buried beneath a pile of debris inside a new Home Depot building. And how, despite tips hinting at alternate suspects, her boyfriend, 18-year-old Jake Silva, and 33-year-old Ty Lopez were arrested and convicted of her murder. Fans of true crime and investigative series won't want to miss this riveting new season. Follow the case as Susan and Jacinda uncover long-overlooked evidence about what really happened to Renee, by listening to Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, wherever you get your podcasts. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police the arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Cup of murder. One small comment can change everything. One offhanded remark can change a person's opinions. One call can change the course of an entire investigation. On June 17, 1954, a man was born who would go on to make one offhanded comment to an ex-girlfriend that would unravel a series of unsolved murders. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. On April 25, 1978, William and Valda Thomas were mushrooming in some bushland in Truro, South Australia, when they stumbled upon what they thought was the leg bone of a cow. The pair rode it off and went home, but two days later, something nagged at Valda, so she sent her husband to look at it again. This time, he took a closer look and found that a shoe was attached to the bone. He called the police, and when they arrived, they found that inside of the shoe was a human foot with painted toenails, and blood-stained clothing was lying nearby. 
The remains were soon identified as that of Veronica Knight, an 18-year-old girl who had vanished during Christmas of 1976, a little over a year before her bones were found. At first, the working theory was that she simply got lost and died of thirst, a common occurrence in this area. But when the remains of 16-year-old Sylvia Pittman were found just one kilometer away a year later, but with the same time of disappearance, investigators knew something was wrong. Then, when police started to look into other young women who went missing around the same time, they found five others who failed to come home. Eleven days after Sylvia was found, a large search party dispatched in the area and found two more skeletons in a paddock on the opposite side of Swamp Road from where the first two were found. Those were the remains of Connie Ardenides and Vicki Howell, two names from the list of missing women. Desperate to find out if there were any other women and who was responsible for their deaths, newspapers offered a $10,000 reward and the government quickly increased that to $30,000. They wanted to know who committed what they were calling the Truro murders. Calls started to come in quick succession and a few brought some viable leads one which led them to a man named James Miller. James told his ex-girlfriend, the one who was now talking to police, that he and a man named Christopher Worrell were the ones responsible for the murders. She said that the conversation took place on February 22, 1977, two days after Christopher had died in a car accident and eight days after the last abduction. She said that James and Christopher would pick up men at gay bars, rob them, and threaten to tell others that they were gay. But when they picked up women, Christopher would rape and then strangle them to death and dump them in the bushland. He even offered to take her to the dump site if she didn't believe him. According to what he told her, there were six victims. And the reason it took her so long to come to police was because she wasn't told until after Christopher died. So there really wasn't anything that could be done. So investigators began a deep dive into the lives of Christopher Worrell and James Miller. At the time of the murders, Christopher was about 23 years old and was described as a charismatic sociopath, while James, 38, was a drifter who was madly in love with his partner. The two met while serving time in prison, James for breaking and entering, and Christopher for rape, and quickly formed a dominant, submissive relationship after their release. The relationship was initially sexual, but soon turned more brotherly after Christopher made his preference for women known. But James remained infatuated and would do anything for his friend. Christopher was killed on February 19, 1977 in a car accident, the day the Truro murders stopped. James survived the accident and had a difficult time coping with the loss. He descended into a deep depression and became homeless and his state of mind led to his confession to ex-girlfriend Amelia. According to his story, Christopher suspected he had a blood clot, and because of that, he had a deep obsession and fascination with thrill killing. That the clot was to blame for his uncontrollable urge to kill. And with that, Amelia made her formal statement to the police and collected her reward money. James Miller was brought in for questioning in May of 1979, and after denying his confession, finally admitted that Amelia had done what he should have done and led police to three more bodies located in Truro, Gawler, and Wingfield. In total, seven bodies were located and attributed to Christopher Worrell. Unfortunately, Christopher couldn't be charged for the role he played in the murder. James Miller, however, could and would take all of the blame. James was brought to trial during which he gave a more detailed version of the story. He said that he and Christopher would cruise the streets looking for a woman that Christopher wanted to have sex with. 
He was a good-looking and charismatic man, so getting them to agree to enter his car was really not a difficult task. James would then drive Christopher and his new victim to a secluded area where he would tie them up and have consensual sex with them while James sat outside and waited. When he was done, he would take the girls back into town and drop them off. Unfortunately, some of those women didn't get to live for the car ride home. Slowly but surely, these pickups got more and more violent, and the sex turned into rape, and the rape eventually turned into murder. The first to fall victim to Christopher's growing urges was 18-year-old Veronica Knight, who was separated from her friends while out shopping and accepted a ride home on December 23, 1976. The next was 15-year-old Tania Kenny, who was hitchhiking from Victor Harbor on January 2, 1977. 19 days later, 16-year-old Juliette Maikaida was picked up while waiting at a bus stop and Sylvia Pittman, who was waiting for a train on February 6th. Vicki Howell, age 26, was killed on February 7th, Connie Iredines on the 9th, Deborah Lamb on the 12th, and Deborah Scuss on the 19th. On each occasion, James would either go for a walk or keep himself scarce and return to a dead or close-to-death woman and a rage-filled Christopher. All but one of them had been strangled to death. In the case of Deborah Lamb, he came back to find Christopher kicking sand into a hole. She had been buried alive. Deborah Scuss, who was his last victim, perished in the car accident that also took Christopher's life and that James was able to walk away from with a broken shoulder blade. Criminologists would later state that had he not died in that car accident, the Truro murders would have had a much more devastating victim count that he was clearly escalating at a dangerous speed. James Miller was found guilty of six of the seven murders on March 12, 1980, and though he never touched the victims, was sentenced to six consecutive life terms. Despite never actually committing the crime, he was found guilty because he was part of a joint criminal enterprise and helped dispose of the bodies. After his trial, one of the jurors hired a lawyer to petition for a retrial, However, the attorney general refused to grant one. On October 21st, 2008, at the age of 69 years old, James Miller died from liver failure as a complication of having hepatitis C and after suffering from both lung and prostate cancer. Up until his death, he was one of the longest serving prisoners in the state, serving time for murders that he technically did not commit. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on January 18th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.